a professionals. And that's okay. Let's all say it together. That's okay. Amen? God is the professional. He's the one who does everything perfectly. But we are uh, continuing our series through the book of Philippians this morning. And we're in a particular section of Philippians where Paul is offering a series of encouragements to the church to live as those uh, worthy of the gospel. Last week, we saw that we were called to live worthy as the gospel by being united, by being a united people. This week, we receive another encouragement to live as those worthy of the gospel. So I want to invite Rachel Brown to come forward. She's going to read our passage this morning. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world." holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. Let's ask for the Spirit's assistance this morning. Lord God, we come to you in Jesus' name. We ask that by your spirit, you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to behold Christ's faith, face in these words. Receive all the glory, the honor, and the praise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a parent here, I have a question. What do you think is better? That your children obey you in your presence? or in your absence? Uh, yes, yes, I agree. I, I assumed, right, that that would, yeah, that there'd be a general consensus. Yeah, it'd probably be best for both. But I'd also go a step further, that there is something unique about your children obeying you in your absence, right? That it's a sign of maturity, a sign of growth, that in some senses, they're growing beyond you. They don't need you to be around anymore. They're pursuing good things all on their own. Well, this is what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Hey, don't only obey if I'm around, Philippians. No, even much more in my absence. If I'm gone, obey even more. Paul doesn't want them to be dependent on him. Instead, he wants them to be dependent on someone else. So he goes on to say, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The word for work here literally means 
to bring about or produce. To bring about or produce. Philippians, bring about, produce your own salvation. And then he adds a motive or a, a posture. He says, with fear and trembling. And having been in Ecclesiastes all summer, I would assume that this church is a master of what it means to fear the Lord, right? Because that's the constant refrain in the book of Ecclesiastes. Fear the Lord. If we remember correctly, fearing God is our proper posture before him, to live in reverent awe before the face of God in all that we do. It's what it means to be wise, to fear the Lord. So this is what we have so far. Bring about or produce your own salvation with a reverent posture before your God. Sounds kind of odd, right? Especially at a church that believes in justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? Not by good works. Bring about your own salvation. What is he getting on about? It sounds like Paul wants them to be dependent on themselves. He makes it sound like we can save ourselves with the right posture and mindset. But he goes on with an incredibly important statement and move that transforms what we're reading. He says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The word for work here is actually different than the other word for work. This word for work uh, has God at, it has as its source. This is a working that God does. A working that God does in his people. God is working to produce a Christian's work. God is at work. So be at the work of your salvation. So how do we work this out? That is an unintended pun. How do we work this out? Well, I'm going to give a couple of, of fancy words. But historically, uh, as the church and Christians have engaged in ideas in the world, it's kind of come in between a paradigm with, on one side, a, a belief system known as deism, and on the other side, a belief system known as pantheism. Deism, pantheism. Pantheism says God works everything, and man works nothing, right? Pantheism is this idea that everything that exists is in some senses just little bits of God. So all of your acting and moving and willing is really just God acting and moving and willing in and through you. In some senses, we don't even exist according to pantheism. Only God exists. Well, that doesn't sound right. Deism, on the other hand, right, says that God got the ball rolling and he went hands off. A little laissez-faire God, right? Hands off. Deism says God does nothing and man does everything. But this is not what the scriptures teach. Neither of these do justice to God's 
revelation. Here we see that God says work because he is at work. That you're working out your salvation is dependent upon a God who is working with you. Working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in you both the ability to work and the desire to work. He works so that you can work. This is a far cry from us saving ourselves. We are a people dependent on God. Friends, we call this working the doctrine of sanctification. The doctrine of sanctification. It is the process that all of Christ's people are going through. That it's God's work to make us holy and our participation in his work. Our, uh, our own confession of faith defines sanctification this way. It says, those who have been regenerated are also sanctified by God's word and spirit dwelling in them. This sanctification is progressive through the supply of divine strength, which all saints seek to obtain, pressing after a heavenly life in cordial obedience to all Christ's commands. Right? As those made alive by the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit continually works to make us holy, and we cooperate with Him in that. We, as it says in these, in these words, press after a heavenly life. That God works so the Christian can and does. Friends, we don't live with a Jesus take the wheel mentality, right? I visited that. I never really heard that song. It's message. I get it. But like Jesus takes the wheel. Like, like okay, Jesus, you just got to do everything, and I'm going to take a back seat, and I'm just going to trust that you're going to sort of like work everything out. There's not a bad something in there, but it's not the whole picture. We don't live with a Jesus take the wheel mentality, right? Because God has made us responsible creatures who live and will. But you do not work as one earning something from God, right? We are being made, our being made right before God is a work of God alone, right? That Jesus Christ came in the world, died for sinners, and has justified us as we come to him in faith so that we have a right standing before our God in heaven. There's nothing that we can add to that, take away from that. Even Edwards, just coming to mind, what do we contribute to our salvation? Only the sin that made it necessary. Right? We are made right before God by Christ. And that's an act of God alone. but it's also in faith that we get to work. Amen? By faith, we come to God's ordinary means of grace, where he holds out to us 
the riches of his grace and makes us holy, actually transforms us into the image of Christ. You're engaging in that right now. You're engaging in that work as you sit under the preached word. The Lord speaks to us in this moment, and he sanctifies us by his word. And that the word preached holds a, a supremacy as we consider the means of grace because it actually produces faith in us. The preaching of the word, in some senses, saves us as it brings us before God and we behold his face. But also baptism. Whether it was when you were first baptized or you think about your baptism later in your life or you watch someone get baptized, Christ reminds us that our sins are forgiven and he sanctifies us. As, he, as we consider our baptism. I love Martin Luther when he suffered temptation in life. And he was kind of crazy a little bit. Like he was wild. If you ever read any Luther, like he was crazy. But he, he would uh, say that when he felt temptation or was temptation by the devil, he would go about screaming, I am baptized. I am baptized. Because your baptism means that you belong to Jesus. But also as we confess this morning about the Lord's Supper, right, we eat spiritually of Christ's body and blood, and we in that are being sanctified into the image of Christ. As he gives us spiritual nourishment and grace to be about the work that he's called us to. And we pray to God, expecting mercy and grace from him as we come before him in need. He supplies to us his divine grace as we pray to him. He hears us. He sanctifies us. He changes us. Friends, in sanctification, the Lord does call us to work. But work as being one worked on. Not as one working, expecting to receive something for your work. No, 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 no. To be one working with one already working in you. Receiving only all of the things that he had already promised to give you. Amen? Now, our modern ears might hear these words, maybe like we even have encountered them before, and we have a me, myself, and I, right? Like, I'm going to go about working out my salvation on my own. But that's not what he's talking about. Paul is writing to the whole church. This work that he's calling them to isn't an individualistic work, but a community work. He wants the Philippians to be uni united around the work of an obedient pursuit of holiness, knowing God is working in them all that is required as they pursue him. Right? In faith, as we come before the preaching of the word, sacraments, prayer, 
God is at work, not in merely us as individuals, but as us as a community. And I got to say, other than, you know, private prayer, preaching in ordinances, like, this is where you get those things. Those are the things that we do together. But corporate prayer is just as important in, among those factors. It's a community work, not an individualistic work. All of these things are for the whole church. It is by God's ordinary means of grace in the body of Christ where God is at work and where we participate in him. So friends, are, are you going about this work together? Right? You might be tempted. That what you need in life is to isolate, right? To break off, to, to get alone. Well, in some senses, that can be helpful. But every moment alone is a, a great call to be present among God's people. Because it's in God's people that he works, in the context of the church that he works. Sanctification is a community work. Amen? Brothers and sisters, work because God is working in you. God is not only working us as a body or as individuals, right? He's also at work in another context because we are Christ's bride. And Christ wants his bride to strut his work about in the world. Amen? So we go on to read. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul instructs and encourages them to do further work. He wants them to grow up into maturity. That grumbling and disputing is not how you work out God's salvation in you. That's not what working looks like. These are not the attitudes, the postures God is working in you. Grumbling and disputing won't unify the church. It'll tear the church apart. Grumbling and disputing gets in the way of our work together as Christ's church, right? And we experience this, I think, in life. And even as I consider my own like work experience in the world before I uh, devoted myself to this work, Right? How easy it is in the workplace to get, you know, to buddy up with one or two people and to just like be really angry at two or three other people. Right? To grumble and dispute. It really does upset the workflow. Or even in our own marriages, grumbling and disputing against one another as husbands and wives. Or if you have roommates, grumbling and disputing with your roommates. None of these things make for happier, peaceful homes. 
So it goes with the church. If we grumble and dispute and fault find and go after each other and complain about one another. Friends, if these things are among us, we will experience drastic disunity and a serious disruption in the work God calls us to unless the Lord intervenes and gives us humility, grace, and repentance. But there seems to be a lot more at stake as he's giving this encouragement. Because the life God calls us to is not just about unity in the body, but unity in the body in the midst of the world. The Lord would have us innocent in the eyes of the world. To act and exist as, as his children in the midst of a messed up, right, twisted and crooked generation. I think John Calvin helpfully stated, for God's adoption of us ought to be a motive to a blameless life that we may in some degree resemble our Father. How revolutionary of an idea or a picture it is when the people of God, living in a twisted and crooked world, resemble God, resemble our Father. But not only that, when the, the church lives in peaceful unity, we shine as lights in the world. When we get to work in the ways that God calls us to, we shine as lights. The world is a, a dark place, is it not? But sin darkens the mind and the heart to the things of God. But the light of the church ought to shine brightly as we are at work in the world. Shine brightly amongst all the peoples of the nations. We do this as we work holding fast to the word of life. The church is a people made by the gospel for gospel proclamation. Do you know that you possess in your life something greater than anything you already possess in life. Whether it's a PhD or a company or money in the bank, or maybe you're living life and you think, I don't have anything. I have nothing. Friend, richer still, because we possess the word of life that there is nothing that could be added nor taken away from us that could diminish or contribute what we already have. We are a people with the word of life. I'm always encouraged by this picture. You have in, in two sides, and I don't have this written down, so I hope I get it right. You have a, a, the smartest, most intelligent, brilliant, wonderful, you know, richest person right here. You have a peasant farmer was nothing. But the peasant farmer has the word of life and is far richer, more intelligent, has access to more goodness than this man over here because he holds the word of life.
The world is a twisted and crooked place, but the church is meant to be blameless, innocent, children of God. The world is dark, but the church shines as a light. The world is a place of death. The church is meant meant to hold out the word of life in the gospel of Christ. Friends, there is too much at stake to bicker and complain with one another. Work done in disdain and anger will tear us apart. There is too much to lose if we are working in the wrong direction. So friends, if there is any grumbling or complaining in this body, if there's any complaining happening behind anyone's backs, friends, let's reset and repent. Let's go before one another in humble confession, asking one another for forgiveness, for speaking about each other in those ways. It's the only way that we're going to survive as a church being unified around this work that God has given us as a church in the midst of the world. Let's pursue one another for peace, for unity, for love. You are children of God, so let's act like it. There's too much at stake. Paul knew this. He knew how much was at stake. He said that the day of the Lord is coming. He appeals to them not to waste his work among them. That Jesus will come back one day. So Paul wants to be proud in Christ on the day when he witnesses the salvation of those among whom he labored for his whole life. I think pride, like pride with pride, yes, can be self-righteous. But there is a good kind of pride, a good kind of boasting. It's not a self-righteous, arrogant pride. It's a boast in Christ. Paul wants to boast in them because he wants to boast in Jesus. So, friends, let's boat, let's look to find a way to live to boast in one another so that we might boast in Christ. Just as Paul labored among this church and other churches so that he might boast and be proud in the day of Christ, the elders of this church, we want to be proud and boast in Christ. So work in the ways that God calls you to work so that we also, we can be proud as we look and present you as we have to stand before God one day. And Jesus is going to ask us, what did you do with my people? Talk about the weight of this position. We're going, to ask, we're going to be asked that question. What did you do with my people? Friends, brothers and sisters, work and participate with the Spirit and make us proud on the day of Christ. If there's anyone here in a discipling relationship, the same goes for you, right? Work. Make your discipler proud, 
right? Because we're all going to also present one another mature in Christ on the day of Christ, right? A community work, work together, make one another proud in the day of Christ. Young people, your parents want to be proud of you and boast in Christ on the day of Christ. So love your parents. They want this for you. Obey them as unto the Lord. This is a good thing, a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing. Make your parents proud of you on the day of Christ. Paul knew all this. He called them to all of this, even in the midst of his circumstances, right? Pretty, they're garbage circumstances, being in prison, in a Roman prison, right? And yet he says, rejoice. He says this to them. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon a sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And it would have been so easy for Paul to complain and grumble and give up. To give up on the work. That's not what he did. Paul was willing to go down for the sake of their faith. And that should sound familiar, right? It should sound familiar. For all of us who were here last week, it almost remind us of last week. Jesus Christ was poured out for the sake of our faith. That his work has led to our salvation so that he might present us blameless, innocent, that he was poured out, sacrificed for the sake of our faith. Paul was simply living as Christ, being Christ to those whom he loved so much. So instead of complaining, he rejoiced. And he called them to rejoice. Friends, could we be so bold to rejoice together in God's hard work in us and in the world? Could we put Christ on display before one another that we might boast in Christ one day? Could we work as Christ worked, participating with him in that work? Friends, this is what God calls us to. God calls us to work because God is working in you and in the world. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you in Jesus' name and we throw ourselves upon your mercy and grace knowing that you alone bring about all good things in us so that we can get to work. Father, give us this strength by your Spirit that we may will and to work 
for, you, for your good pleasure. Be glorified in these things, O oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we have the opportunity.